Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Cindy Lanou, and I am blessed enough to be one of the student leaders here at Church of the Palms. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads and prepare for worship. We have come together listening, God, because you have spoken your word of summons and welcome. We are drawn irresistibly to the promise of your presence and by the persistence of your call. Speak to your servants here in ways we can understand. We want to hear the message you intend for us. We want to listen, not because someone else needs to have it told to them, because we ourselves are needy sinners. Your expectations of us are high and holy. We tremble before you, eager for the heavens to be opened in our midst for our transformation. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised to the glory of the Lord.
Please stand for the call to worship. Listen to Psalm 100 as it comes from us to the message. On our feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God and God, God. He made us, we didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise, thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and forever. Let us worship God. Now this is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet keep on walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Let us confess our sin. O oh God, our lives are an open book to you. Help us to recognize in ourselves what you have seen there. Remove the distortions that keep us from acknowledging our sin. Awaken in us a sorrow over the wrong we have done and the good we have neglected. Create in us an earnest desire to change. O oh God, 
we are in touch with the pain we have caused and the pain within us. Because of your love and care, we can face and overcome the sins we here confess. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that everything done wrong, our thoughts, words, and actions are all forgiven by the grace of God. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. And now, let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors. Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We're so glad you're with us today, and we are especially glad if you have come to us from distances away, and maybe if this is the first time you're here, we are glad especially and welcome you. Hope that you will find this to be a place of welcome and hospitality and warmth, and we hope that you will perhaps meet some new friends while you're here this morning. To that end, we would love to have you fill out the friendship pads which are in the pews and pass those along, and friendship pads are intended to make friends. (laughs) 
So uh, note uh, names you don't know on that uh, list, and perhaps you'll want to reach out and welcome a new friend into our family life here at Church of the Palms. We are uh, grateful today is Student Ministry Sunday, and we are thankful to have our students leading us in worship. These aren't all of our students. These are just four of our students. Uh, there'll be others that will appear, and you'll perhaps have a chance, even if you want to go over to the contemporary service at 10 o'clock, there'll be more students there, more students at 11 o'clock, and you are greeted by some students, and we are delighted to have that opportunity to uh, have them lead us in worship today. More on that later, except that I want to take this time to introduce to you our new student ministry director, Steve Sipes, who's over, where are you? There you are, stand up, Steve. Welcome him into our midst. Steve has already been uh, on our ministry team leading our contemporary worship uh, uh, service and uh, with his great gifts of music and his great experience in student ministry is now coming over into our student ministry here at Church of the Palms and we're so glad you're with us and thankful for your leadership and we look forward to great things ahead. And so we also invite you to a few other things today. Our blood drive is being uh, made available after the service so feel free to take some time and give that very precious gift for someone that you don't know, but that will, you will perhaps even save their life. So we encourage you to do that. This evening at 6.30, we have our uh, January music uh, program, Songs Without Words and Words Without Songs. And you'll want to especially come tonight. Bharat Chandra will be here to lead us, the principal clarinetist from the Sarasota Orchestra. And uh, there'll be some wonderful poetry and some wonderful music. And it will be a delight. Those of you who came a couple weeks ago know that it is a really special evening. So come and join us for that. On Tuesday evening, we continue our discussion on mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's uh, pivotal book, perhaps the greatest Christian book written in the 20th century. We encourage you to come and uh, study that with us, and it's not never too late to come and join that discussion. That's this Tuesday evening, 6 o'clock, up in room 206 of the Education Building. Wednesday evening, God in Hollywood. We'll be taking a look at the movie Waking Ned Divine, and uh, you want to watch that before you come. And uh, that's a very provoking story that you'll want to come and share with us on. And then next Sunday, we have our congregational meeting, and we will have the chance to rejoice in that which has happened the year past and look ahead to what is going to happen in the year, in the year ahead. We invite you to take an annual report. They're available in the back of the narthex on your way out. And uh, it's a beautiful annual report put together by Sarah Sobolewski and Jackie Gomez, our communications folks. And you'll want to take a look at one of those, one per family we prefer you do. And uh, feel free to take a look at that and review the year, uh, the year past over the course of this week so that we can be prepared for our congregational meeting next Sunday at 12 o'clock here in the sanctuary, during which we will be electing a new associate pastor. And we have been searching for months and months and months and months for a new associate pastor, reviewed a hundred resumes, and selected Lori Haas. <laughs> Very close vote, no. Um, but uh, Lori will be candidating. She will be presenting her candidating sermon next Sunday. And then at 12 o'clock, we will be having our congregational meeting at which we will elect her. 
and uh, we rejoice in that journey of yours, Lori. Lori finished the seminary at the end of this month, and she has completed her requirements with Peace River Presbytery and is now ready to be ordained. So lots of things to celebrate next Sunday. Let's continue our worship. Good morning again. 
I want to introduce you to my friend, Rachel Mallett. And if you've been around here for long, you will know that Rachel has grown up in this church. What you might not know is that Rachel lost her mom when she was four years old, and she's been raised by a single dad the whole time. Although Bill would never say that he raised his daughter alone, because he always had God, and he always had this church family with him every step of the journey. So I asked Rachel just to say a couple of words about what this church has meant to her and what her experience has been here. Good morning. My name is Rachel Mallett, and I'm a senior at Sarasota High School. I'm so excited to share my story with all of you today. And I'm going to do <clears throat> my very best to share the past 17 years of my life in two minutes. <laughs> I first want to say that I owe a huge part of my identity, <clears throat> and especially my identity in Christ, to this community. There is no place more familiar than this campus. I grew up listening to the sermons in the campus center, singing in the choir, and going out into the community with other church members. This congregation taught me the fruitfulness of life spent looking outwards, away from my own worries and towards the needs of others. My faith really became its own <clears throat> once I began going to youth group in sixth grade, and since that time, this family became a foundation, the starting point in which I feel comfortable moving forward towards the plans God has for me. Despite how confident I was in my faith early on, it's really easy to feel like you're doing everything right when you grow up in the church. I've had constant fulfillment and fellowship, whether it be Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, or mission trips in the U.S. and Nicaragua. My eyes are continuously open to the goodness and faithfulness of God, but it hasn't been a steady incline to enlightenment. I get caught up in patterns, patterns of feeling too comfortable forgetting to relentlessly pursue and trust him while settling for the easy path. But no matter how far away I ever felt, this place continuously brought me back to what's most important. When I have trouble sensing God's presence, all I have to do is reach out to my mentors and friends I have here to see just how close he is. In eighth grade, I knew I was being called into ministry, and it was right here where I gave my very first sermon. As leaders began to give me more and more responsibility, I felt more and more confident of the direction God was sending me in. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of the loving community that made me who I am, that taught me values, gave me trips that showed me the goodness of humanity, and revealed to me where I'm headed next. This will be the hardest part of myself to leave behind next year, but I am so grateful for all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Um, quite an amazing young woman. And thank you for loving and supporting these kids over the years. I feel so blessed because I've had a front row seat these past nine years with them. I think I've seen how God has um, used regular, uncool adults like you and like me to show up and to move in their lives. I've seen the growth in their spirituality with the hope that we all have that of creating a faith that sticks to this next generation. The work that we're able to do with these students comes from your generous support. These kids need our financial support, our time, and our prayers. Our goal is to raise $35,000 to help offset the cost of the summer trips. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but we can do this if only 350 of us gave $100. 
And I know some of us can give a little more and some can give a little bit less, but it all counts and it all helps these kids live into our mission of loving God and loving neighbor. So today, or over these next couple of weeks, we'd like to invite you to pray about and wonder about how you might support students this year. You received a sponsorship card in your bulletin. Fill it out. If you decide to write a check, please put in the memo line, student sponsorship. I can't think of a better investment for today and for our future. Thank you so much. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you promise that when we pray, you not only listen to us, but also answer our prayers. Hear our prayers today as we pray for your people near and far. Father, we pray for the new friends we made this past summer in Lakeland, Atlanta, Montreal, and Nicaragua. We pray that your presence and love will continue to be felt in those communities. Father, we lift up the leaders of this congregation. Please help them to hear your voice in all the decisions they make and give them courage and compassion to lead well. We pray for all the teachers and tutors who continue to influence and support us with kindness and wisdom. Gracious God, you have given so much. We know that with great obedience comes great responsibility. We ask that you, we ask that you help us use our time, talents, and treasures to help those who are hungry, homeless, sick, addicted, lonely, afraid, and emotionally unstable. God, we know it breaks your heart when people are bullied and persecuted. We ask that you give us tolerance and acceptance to those who are different than us, but still loved equally by you. Lord, we pray that you give us courage to stand up for the injustice in our schools, our community, and our world. As we try to be more like you, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. We now have an opportunity to give our offering back to God. The generosity of this congregation helps support things like our ongoing children and student ministry programs. These gifts help us equip us to be the hands and feet of Christ. The ushers will now come forward to receive our morning offering.
name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You did.
God, you have given us. You have given each of us gifts to use as members of the body of Christ. Here are our gifts, the work of our hands, our hearts, and our lives. We pray that they may help to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to our world, today and always, here and everywhere. Amen. You may be seated. I would, now I would like to invite the children forward for the children's moment. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I've got a posse following me. I like it. Oh, I need my toolbox. Thanks, Mingy. All right, so now I have my toolbox, and it's kind of like a tool bag, but it does the same thing. So when I was in Nicaragua last summer, and summers before, we used a toolbox or a tool bag just like this and used all the tools in it to help build a house, which was super awesome. Do any of you guys have toolboxes or tool bags at your house? Yeah? Awesome. Okay, so can you see all these tools that I have in here? There's a lot of them, right? Sometimes I wonder why there's so many tools. Well, that's because each and every one have a specific purpose, and there's no one tool that does everything, which would be really awesome. So, if I were, you know, trying to put a nail into a board, what kind of tool do you think I would need? A hammer. Perfect. A hammer. Just like this one. Okay, and if I were trying to put a screw in like a picture frame or something, what kind of tool do you think I would need? Screwdriver. Yeah, screwdriver. Just like, like this one. And then let's see, hmm, if I were trying to measure something like the height of a door, what kind of tool do you think I would need? Tape measure. A tape measure. Oh, I have one in here too, look. I've got everything in this bag, just like this. So these are a bunch of tools, and the church is like God's toolbox. So all these people here are God's tools. He gives us these special gifts and these special talents so we can help do his work. He gives some of us the gift of being musically talented, not me, but he gives some of us that gift so we can help worship God. He gives other of us, you know, the gift of teaching so we can help teach people about God and educate them about their love. So we each have these awesome gifts and these awesome tools from God that we can use to help work for him. So I'm going to read a passage from the Bible that says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. I don't need a microphone. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we all serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So if I were wearing glasses and I needed to fix that tiny little screw in my glasses, would I use a big hammer or a big screwdriver? No, I'd use a little tiny screwdriver, just like this one. So. It doesn't matter if you have what gift you have or how big or small your gift is. All that matters is when God has a job for you, you need to be right there in his toolbox, ready and willing for him to use you. So look around. See this big house of worship? This is God's toolbox. And see all these people? We are his tools. Each and every one of us, ready and willing for God to use them to do work in his community. You guys pray with me? All right. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us this beautiful day, Lord, and thank you for this beautiful toolbox full of people, Lord.
Help us to use your gifts that you've given us to help and love others in our community. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.
Thanks to Steve and Colleen for leading us in that music. Would you give them a round of applause? Thank you so much. Who says Presbyterians can't sing new songs <laughs> or old songs in a new way? Speaking of doing new things, we are in this series called Starting Over and taking the month of January to wonder about um, a restart for our lives and a new approach, a new view, a new vision for what life might be for us as we move into a new year. And we've been looking at some of the texts in the uh, early part of the Gospel of John. And as John begins telling us the story of Jesus, so we begin wondering about what a new life might look like for us. So today we are in the uh, latter part of the second chapter of John's Gospel, beginning at the 13th verse. So hear the word of God. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take those things out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, the temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. And when he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone for he himself knew what was in everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Allow your amazing grace, O Lord, to fill this place and to fill these words to come that they may point us to this word that we have just heard and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ with whom we seek to begin anew. For we pray this in his name, amen. Annie Dillard in her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, a book from which I have quoted before, a book that remains near the top of my list of all-time favorite books. Annie Dillard, in this book, shares her experience in observations and meditations from the months that she intentionally spent alongside a creek near her home in southwestern Virginia, Tinker Creek. As far as I know, Tinker Creek is not unlike any other creek, water and rocks and bends and dips. But when reading this book, you sense from Ms. Dillard that her long pause before the creek allows it to take on for her a holy significance. 
Not that the creek wasn't holy before she sat beside it. It's just that her pause allowed her to see the holiness, the beauty, the wonder of this little spot in God's creation. A little spot which she calls the extravagant gesture of creation. And she continues, if the landscape reveals one certainty, it is that the extravagant gesture is the very stuff of creation. After the one extravagant gesture of creation in the first place, the universe has continued to deal exclusively in extravagances, flinging intricacies and colossi down eons of emptiness, helping profusions on profligacies with every fresh vigor. The whole show has been on fire from the word go. I come down to the water to cool my eyes, but everywhere I look, I see fire. That which isn't flint is tinder, and the whole world sparks and flames. I don't know about you, but there are places in the world which I have visited and to which I have returned that seem to hold for me a, a holy significance. When I walked the battlefield at Gettysburg, which I've done more times than I can count, I get overwhelmed by a holy significance, especially in the morning when the sun is rising over the peach orchard and Cemetery Ridge. God feels very near to me there. When I pause long enough amidst the markers in the American Cemetery in Normandy and take in the nearly 10,000 crosses and stars of David, men who lost their lives in the first waves of the Normandy invasion, I'm overwhelmed by a holy significance. A, a certain gravity presses upon me and I sense the nearness of God. When I weave myself down into the valley of Glendalough amidst the Wicklow Mountains south of Dublin and pause enough days, not hours, but days, I feel the extravagant gesture, the glacial lake that you see on the front of your bulletin, the falling stream, the woods, the trails, the mountains. I sense something there. God encroaches. When I take a plane, a train, a bus, and two ferries to what feels the outer edge of the world, a little dot of an island on the west coast of Scotland, the Isle of Iona, and pause there for days again, not hours, but days, I experience what the Celts call the thin place, the place where the membrane between heaven and earth feels thin. And the words of the psalmist echo in my ear, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God is very near. Now when visiting these thin places, these holy dwellings, I realize that the commonality among them has not as much to do with them as it does with me. Uh, these are the places to which I have taken myself. They did not come to me, I went to them. In my mind, I set out a plan and a path to get myself to those places in order to be reminded again of what is sacred, what is holy, what is extravagant in God's design. 
And I've taken myself to these places as a way to remove myself from other places, namely the rituals and routines of my own life, the day in and day out of life and work and home, the emails, the texts, the Facebook, the Twitter, the newspaper, the Bee Ridge Road, the traffic lights, the honking horns, the radio, the TV, and, and all the latest things that seem to be occupying my attention. And it's when I get myself then and remove myself to these holy places that I realize how thirsty I have been for the sacred how parched my soul has become for the, from, with the dryness of the profane. And so it makes all the sense in the world the rage that Jesus feels when he makes an early visit to the temple in Jerusalem, this sacred holy place, this, this house of prayer for God's people. And what he finds inside the temple is a 7-Eleven, a Dunkin' Donuts, a lotto machine, and a gift shop. Not quite like that, but, but what happened is that the sacred had been turned into a marketplace, a place to buy things uh, that was supposedly were supposed to help you to worship and to make sacrifice to God, temple tax payments and dove offerings and cheap and cattle sacrifices, you name it. All of it was for sale and for trade inside the temple. And the temple turned out to be the trading floor at the New York Stock Exchange, a, a place to make a quick buck. The profane had made its way into the sacred. That's what profane means. It comes from the Latin profanus, which means outside the temple. The outside of the temple had come into the inside of the temple, and the nearness of God had flown away. And Jesus gets ticked, flipping tables, pushing over cash registers, chasing away animals. It was not a pretty scene. But if you want to get Jesus mad, Start messing with the sacred. Start messing with, with the holy. Start messing with the extravagant gestures of God. Start inserting the profane into the sacred. Because you see, if there was anything Jesus was aware of, there was this line between the sacred and the profane, the temple and what was outside the temple, and how easy it is for us to dwell in the profane and take the profane into the sacred. But the sacred is where we find the intimate connection with God. And if there was anything that Jesus was protective over, it was the intimate, sacred connection between God and the people of God. Now, as it turns out, Jesus found the sacred not just inside the temple, but also outside the temple. In fact, Jesus found the sacred permeating the universe. The sacred was all around in the, in the lilies of the field, in the seed in the soil, in the stars of heaven, in the wine and the bread, in the Jordan River. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The good God had made a good world. Everywhere we look, Jesus says, we see the extravagant gestures of God. And most of all, Jesus saw the sacred, the holy, the extravagance in the image of God imprinted in every single human being. Every single soul is the sacred creation. When I dwell in the presence of a person, I dwell in the presence of God. 
To love another person, Victor Hugo wrote, is to see the face of God. But therein lies the challenge, right? Because is the same true for you as it is for me that my experience of the holy has more to do with what I take myself to as opposed to what it is. What I take myself to, and by to I mean not just Gettysburg or Normandy or the Scottish Isles, but there in the sacred that surrounds me every day. Because you know, one of the things about starting over is understanding right where you are. In this effort to follow Jesus, the purpose behind the new person, to see our lives as a fine vintage as we talked about last week, but then we have to see then the world differently and to see people differently and to realize that the sacred surrounds us, the intimate nearness of God surrounds us, and the holy dwells inside every single person we meet. And what we do either blesses the creation or profanes it. Wendell Berry said it this way, there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Always there exists this choice. We have to receive what is before us as holy or to treat what is before us with profanity. Profanity. That which I use to profane the holy presence of God before me, to take what is outside the temple, inside the temple. Don't you wonder why it is that Jesus and the disciples and the religious leaders spent so much time talking about the Sabbath? about how best to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Well, it came from this deep understanding that time itself was holy, time was sacred, time was as precious as a diamond. And so when God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, it's God's way of saying, you are surrounded by the sacredness of time. So don't profane it. Don't throw all seven days of the week into earning a buck and doing the chores. Stop and rest and receive the holiness of time. Don't you wonder when Jesus sits down with any number of people, the sick and the lepers and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the Samaritans and the Gentiles, if he isn't trying to point out the sacredness of every living person. And while it seemed pretty easy for lots of folks to dismiss lots of folks because of who they were or where they came from or what they had done, Jesus was intimately aware of the holiness of every single person in creation. And don't you wonder that when Jesus says, if you call someone a fool, if you call someone a fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Don't you wonder that maybe he's just as mad at any names we think to call someone or any profanity we might think to use as he would be with the Dunkin' Donuts in the temple that to somehow desecrate another human being with a label or an insult is to lose sight of the nearness of God or maybe even to lose sight of yourself. 
when the profane becomes our way of life, our way of talk, our way of engagement, I think Jesus thinks we're giving up on ourselves. We're losing sight not only of what is in front of us, we're losing sight of what is already inside of us. The profanity we intend to use to desecrate what is before us finds its way right back to us and we lose sight of ourselves. I remember when I was a boy and hanging around with a bunch of other boys who were pretty loose with their language, including every imaginable four-letter word and all sorts of epithets for just about every race known to humankind. And after hearing my older brothers experiment with their own language, I went to my mother and naively asked her what swear words I was allowed to use. and what names I was allowed to call other people. And she asked me, why do you want to swear? Why do you want to call someone a name? Well, I said, all my friends are doing it. And after she gave me, would you jump off a bridge if all your friends jumped off a bridge lecture, she said something I'll never forget. She said, you know when you swear, it usually means you're angry. And when you call someone a name, it usually means you have a little bit of hatred, hatred inside of you. And swearing and calling someone a name means that you think that's okay. And that it's okay to hate someone. And it's okay to be angry. And it's okay to lash out. It's okay to make fun of someone. And whenever someone does that, she said, it always makes them look ugly. It just does. And why would you want someone to think you're ugly? When the profane becomes our way of life, our way of talk, when we look at the creation or a person before us or a person across the globe with any measure of disdain, Jesus says, you're giving up on yourself because you can't take the beauty away from someone else without taking the beauty away from yourself. When we participate in the extravagant gesture around us, we become extravagant gestures ourselves. There's a story about a Hasidic rabbi who noticed that his son would often make his way into the backyard of their house and then from there walk into the woods behind their property for long periods of time. And at first this didn't concern the rabbi, but after a while he grew worried about this continued practice of his son. The boy would be gone longer and longer into the woods and Lord knows what one might find inside the woods. So finally the rabbi asked the son, why do you always make your way into the woods? The boy said, I go there to find God. Well, that's very good, said the father. But you know, God is the same everywhere. Yes, said the boy, but I'm not.
I worry sometimes about our weary old world. I worry that the labels we sometimes use and the disregard we might have for some people or the swear words that slip too easily from our lips or the assault that takes place against women or people different than us, the way we sometimes work ourselves to the bone, that it means maybe that we've lost sight of the nearness of God. Not God the policeman who's waiting to arrest us for having done something bad, but God the beautiful one who made everything and everyone beautiful and who wants more than anything else for us to see around us and within us the extravagant gesture and to in turn become extravagant gestures ourselves. What a way to start over. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.